listeners to the Overlook Podcast, which is one of the podcasts that is produced by Tunuka Media. I'm your host, Yemi, and every week I bring you Overlook stories from all over the world. The world is a vast and diverse place, so these stories will include the good, the bad, and the weird. Be sure to come back each week, share the podcast with your friends, and hit the magic subscribe button. To get regular updates on the show and what we're up to, connect with Tunuka Media on social media. Your support is priceless, so don't forget to give a like or a high rating wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Now, it's time for this week's episode. Hi there. If you're new around here, welcome to the podcast. And if you've been here for a while, thanks for coming back. Our feature story this week discusses one of the largest accounting scandals in German history. We also discuss stories ranging from a 13-year fight for compensation by farmers in Nigeria to allegations that a popular dating app sold its users' data. The feature story has all the markings of a riveting Hollywood movie, financial fraud, corporate cover-up, and even a fugitive that is still missing. Right before we jump in, I have two announcements. First... I was recently interviewed on the Career Crossroads podcast, hosted by Jonathan Colton. I had a lot of fun reflecting on my career journey. So go ahead and listen and let me know what you think. The podcast can be found wherever you enjoy podcasts. Just search for Career Crossroads. I'm on, I believe, episode 18. I also included the link to the episode on the blog. Also, Tunica Media will be at the PodFest Global Summit. It's a virtual conference that is a place for podcasters and content creators from all around the globe to gather, share, and grow. It was a really awesome experience when we attended last year for the first time. And this year, we're happy to be connected as an affiliate. We'll be there and hope to see you there too. Look up the PodFest Global Summit on Eventbrite and enter the code Tunica Media, which is one word, at the top of the ticket selection page. You can also find the tickets through the link in the bio of Tunuka Media's social media pages, such as Instagram and Facebook. So, now that you're all pumped up for the episode, let's get right into it. The Court of Appeal in The Hague has delivered a major victory to a group of Nigerian farmers. The court ruled that Shell Nigeria is liable for oil spills that occurred between the years 2004 and 2007. Four Nigerian farmers and Friends of the Earth are claiming compensation from Shell for damage they claim to have suffered as a result of oil spills from underground pipelines and an oil well. They also demand that Shell clean up the contamination better and take measures to prevent it from happening in the future. Shell does not claim liability. According to the company, the spills were caused by sabotage and there is no liability under Nigerian law. The company also was of the opinion that the contamination had been cleaned up sufficiently. However, in a new court ruling, the court ordered Shell's Nigerian subsidiary to compensate the farmers for the losses caused in the two villages of Goy and Uruma in 2004 and 2005. The amount of the compensation has not yet been decided on. It also ruled that the company must install warning equipment on its Uruma pipelines to limit the environmental damage in case of another spill. The court also ruled that Shell had proved that sabotage was the cause of the third spill at an oil well in the village of Ikot Ada Udu, but it had not decided whether Shell was liable for the damage. 
The court also needs to make a determination as to whether the pollution still needs to be cleaned up and to where the pollution has actually spread to. This portion in regard to the third spill is still in progress. In a statement, Royal Dutch Shell said it was disappointed with the verdict. They do have the option to appeal the ruling in a higher court. According to the BBC's Anna Holligan, this ruling could have implications beyond Nigeria, specifically in terms of corporate responsibility and the duty of care that multinational corporations have to people in places where they operate. South Sudan will change its time zone from East African time to Central African time at midnight on the 1st of February 2021. So that would be what, today? The move is meant to align South Sudan to the time zone based on its geographical location. This changes the time zone offset from UTC plus 3 to UTC plus 2, and the change will also bring the time in Sudan more in sync with solar time. This particular story has all the markings of a good Hollywood movie. Finance, massive fraud, corporate cover-up, all wrapped in a bow of intrigue. And the dominoes keep falling. This is referring to the Wirecard fraud, one of the biggest frauds in German history. The German payments firm Wirecard collapsed in June 2020 after its auditors Ernst & Young refused to sign off on his 2019 accounts. Now, the history behind this is going to be a little bit long, but it is well worth it so that you can understand the context of how significant this fraud is and how big the fallout has been. So, while the doo-doo hit the fan in 2020, allegations of financial impropriety floated around since 2016. When a negative report by short seller Zatara Research alleged that the top executives were laundering money. Two years after this, Wirecard joined the Blue Chip Market Index, DAX, making it officially one of the 30 most valuable German companies listed on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange. Also, by joining the DAX 30, Wirecard became an automatic investment for pension funds around the world. So the fallout goes far outside Germany's borders. In 2019, the Financial Times alleged that a Wirecard executive had used forged and backdated contracts in a series of suspicious transactions that raised questions about the company's accounting practices. It essentially made them look more profitable than it was. KPMG was soon called in by Wirecard to prove their innocence, of course, after they had denied the allegations. But according to KPMG, Wirecard did not even provide enough documentation to refute those allegations. Soon after, Ernst & Young refused to sign off on the company's financials because it could not confirm the existence of, get this, 1.9 billion euros or about 2.23 billion US dollars in cash balances. After searching for the money in the Philippines, Wirecard eventually said that the 1.9 billion euros it booked in its accounts likely never even existed. The books had been cooked, stir-fried, and grilled. That is not a direct quote, of course. For context, this amount was equivalent to about a quarter of the company's balance sheet. The chief executive, Marcus Brown, stepped down and was arrested shortly after. Wirecard soon filed for bankruptcy, owing its creditors almost 4 billion U.S. dollars. 
the share price has fallen from about 194 euros per share to 49 euros cents per share. Yes, you heard that right. That is from almost 200 euros per share to less than one euro. The investigation continues. And a lot of other senior individuals were arrested on suspicion of laundering money. Also, one of the executives escaped by private jets to parts unknown and is now on the Interpol's most wanted list. A Secret Service agent and a former member of parliament have been arrested for helping with this escape. The fallout isn't done. It continues. Auditors Ernst & Young are now being sued for not spotting the gap. Regulators have been accused of not paying attention. A lot of people have lost their jobs. Creditors have been left without payment. People had their accounts frozen. And pension funds from around the globe have suffered harm. All this to say that the bankruptcy of Wirecard is a big, big scandal. There is no shortage of blame, of course. But one interesting point of note is that BAFIN, that's B-A-F-I-N, the financial services regulator had been aware of some of the concerns that had been raised for years. In fact, some of its accusers have said that rather than investigate Wirecard, it opened up an investigation into the investigative reporter from the Financial Times for price manipulation of the stock market. And then, among other things, Baffin banned the short selling of Wirecard shares. Incompetent is one of the more conservative descriptions that are being used online to describe Baffin. In more recent developments, which is why they're in this week's episode, last week, Baffin accused one of its employees of insider trading. According to Baffin, the employee who works in the security supervision department sold structured products based on Wirecard shares on June 17, 2020, which is the day before Wirecard declared that it could not find 1.9 billion euros in assets. This recent scandal has now led the German finance ministry to replace the head of Baffin. This whole saga needs its own movie. I also encourage you to keep an eye on this. It's pretty interesting and has implications for financial markets and regulators across the globe. For example, Baffin's decision to ban short selling in the face of accusations of irregularities. And it's pretty interesting, especially given the recent discussions around GameStop shares in the United States. Media stakeholders, including the International Federation of Journalists and the Federation of African Journalists, have joined African Union's leaders, the African Editors Forum, and UNESCO to launch a new digital platform to protect and promote the safety of journalists in Africa. According to UNESCO, the platform will facilitate real-time responses across Africa to end impunity for attacks against African journalists, including harassment, arbitrary arrests, assault, and killings. It will keep track of attacks against journalists on the continent and support reporting on attacks as well as follow-up actions to, to combat impunity. When browsing through the website, it is easy to notice that a lot of sections have not yet been populated. For example, other countries, I went to Nigeria first, of course, but there was no data available. It just launched, so that is kind of understandable. That aside, the new section appears to be fairly active. In fact, it was updated on the day the story was being prepared with the story of a journalist that was killed in Tigray. You will remember Tigray from last week's episode about the conflict in northern Ethiopia. 
Given that the New York-based Committee to Protect Journalists reported that in 2020, the crimes committed against journalists across the continent escalated, this website is pretty timely. You can sign up for email alerts on the website. The address is safetyofjournalistsinafrica.africa. Since 1986, the U.S.-based Carter Center has led the international campaign to eradicate guinea worm disease, working closely with ministries of health and local communities. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the World Health Organization, UNICEF, and many others. Guinea worm disease is now close to becoming the second human disease in history after smallpox to be eradicated. In 1986, the disease afflicted an estimated 3.5 million people a year in 21 countries in Africa and Asia. This year, the center reported a 50% reduction in human cases in 2020 compared to the year before. This means that the incidence of guinea worm has been reduced by more than 99.99%. The disease is contracted by drinking infected water and affects some of the world's most vulnerable people. The three-foot-long worm is asymptomatic and incubates in the victim for up to a year before painfully emerging, often through extremely sensitive parts of the body, like the area close to the ankles. If you aren't eating and you have a strong stomach, then feel free to look up the images. Good luck. Moderna, which is a biotech company behind one of the two mRNA based vaccines currently being rolled out globally to stem the tide of the virus is developing three new MNRA-based vaccines for seasonal flu, HIV, and Nipah virus. According to Moderna, this announcement reflects the company's commitment to accelerating its infectious disease portfolio based on its experience with the COVID-19 vaccine. As you folks may already know, I am not a medical professional. So all the sources of everything I'm going to talk about, particularly about how vaccines work, are going to be included in the blog for your reading and research pleasure. So how do vaccines work? Normally, when a virus or bacteria infects us for the first time, our immune system creates proteins called antibodies, or as some people say, antibodies. That way, if that same organism that causes the disease, otherwise known as a pathogen, decides to come knocking again, those antibodies that were developed can neutralize the pesky invader and spur the immune system into action right away. And that quick response can prevent a full-blown infection from developing. Without doubt, this is very, very oversimplified. But fundamentally, vaccines are designed to prompt the creation of antibodies or antibodies for a specific pathogen before that infection ever happens. Moderna's new vaccines uses something called mRNA or RNA. An mRNA vaccine delivers a bit of a genetic code that prompts the body to create a part of a pathogen that triggers antibody production. That genetic code is now easier than ever to obtain thanks to advanced sequencing technology. Once an effective mRNA vaccine has been developed, as it now has, that lays the groundwork for others to be developed. Just plug in the genetic code from a mutated variant or a new pathogen and you have a new vaccine. Bada boom. Again, oversimplified, but as I said, all the references are on the blog. Moderna's new programs will be targeted not only to seasonal flu, but NIFA and HIV. I suspect most people are familiar with the seasonal flu, 
but Nipah virus is also highly lethal and can cause respiratory and neurological symptoms. It is particularly a threat in India, Bangladesh, Malaysia, and Singapore. HIV is also widespread and infected about 1.7 million people in 2019. So Moderna now believes the mRNA vaccine can be used as an effective prevention strategy. Clinical trials are set to begin this year, in 2021. In the German city of Ulm, homeless people can now benefit from a very thoughtful initiative. A series of pods has been installed around the city to provide shelter, and their listeners, they look pretty cool. These pods are called Ulmer nests, and they are made of wood and steel and can fit up to two people. While there are no cameras in the pod, Social workers are alerted when the pod doors are open through motion sensors. That way, the caretakers can check on the pod after it's been used to make sure it can be cleaned. They are also able to provide assistance to anyone using the shelter. They are also equipped with solar panels and are connected to a radio network. This ensures that the occupants can communicate without even having access to a mobile network. This is a pilot program, but if the program is successful, then it could be adopted across Germany. Grindr is now facing a fine that is equivalent to 15 million US dollars. The fine is being levied by Norway's Data Protection Authority and it's also equivalent to about 10% of Grindr's estimated global revenue. According to the BBC, Grindr had not yet replied or provided any comments. However, in a statement to the New York Times, one of their spokespeople said that it had obtained the valid legal consent and was confident that its approach to the privacy of its users was first class. The data breach itself was revealed last January after the Norwegian Consumer Council made three complaints against Grindr for sharing personal information with advertisers. The agency said that the app had transmitted users' precise location users tracking codes and the app's name to at least five advertising companies, essentially tagging these individuals as LGBTQ without obtaining their explicit consent. In January 2020, the New York Times also found that the Android version shared location data that was so precise that it could show the side of the building where the user was sitting. Now, Given that the app is primarily used by those in the LGBTQ plus community, we can see the potential risk for individuals who live in countries where homosexuality is still considered illegal. This may lead to actual physical harm or may leave room for blackmail. This is not the first time that the app has been caught in hot water. In October 2020, it was revealed that there was a vulnerability on the app where accounts could be easily hacked to reveal the email address of its users. Two years prior, in 2018, this same app shared the HIV status of its users with two external companies. Yeah. There's a popular saying, if it's free, then you are probably the product. Unfortunately, I was not able to track down the original source of that saying, but I thought it was really appropriate here. But at the end of the day, Remember this quote and consider its implications as you interact online. Now, that brings us to the end of this episode. Don't forget to check my feature on Career Crossroads and click the link on our social media bios to join us at Podfest Global. As you go into your week, 
Remember to be a force of light to those around you. Catch you all on the next one. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to tune in every week for a new episode. Overlooked is a Tunica Media production, which also includes shows like Africa in My Kitchen, with more on the way. So follow Tunica Media on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter to be in the loop. Until next time, have yourself a great week ahead. <laughs>